Unipify podcast. All right. Well, uh, I would like to give a huge welcome to uh, Mark Carney. Uh, Mark, in your role as the Governor of the Bank of England and previously of, of Canada as Chair of the Financial Stability Board, and now as UN Special Envoy and Advisor to the UN, uh, to the UK Prime Minister, you've probably done more to embed climate considerations within the financial industry than anyone else in the world. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's very timely and appropriate that uh, you can um, give us your direction today. And then of course, looking forward to, to COP26 towards um, hopefully what we see as a raising ambition, both within the, the, the private sector and also through signaling to that of, of governments. Um, the first question I'd like to put you, to you is that you, you've talked about the good progress that's being made in terms of financing renewables and starting to divest from coal. But that you've mentioned that the real challenge is more about the whole economy transition. What, what exactly are you getting to with this? Yeah, well, first off, uh, Eric, thank you very much for having me. And let me salute um, UNEP's efforts um, and, um, and, and the specific initiatives around principles for responsible banking, net zero asset owner alliance, um, really translating you know, principles into action. And that's what this is about. And I guess to say there's a, there's a few ways to put this, but um, I mean, clearly it's important. The end state is important getting to, um, uh, you know, net zero uh, energy, translating every, you know, um, energy into electricity and electricity into renewables. So that sort of destination is important, but we're not going to jump overnight to that destination. And so it's the Delta as well as the destination, the change as well as the destination. Um, and it's really a whole economy transition uh, that is required. And um, so that has numerous implications. Um, the green bond market is important market, the transition bond market, sustainability bonds, those are important. But in the end, even though they're growing rapidly, they are niche products. And the question that we've been looking at, you've been looking at, and we're working uh, for the private finance side of COP is in mainstream finance, everyday finance, every uh, you know professional financial transaction. What do you need? Uh, what do the professionals need in order to take climate change into account, manage the risks, and and very importantly, seize the opportunities around that? And that goes across every sector of the real economy, if I speak as a central banker, the real economy. Um, and it goes across every sector of the financial economy from uh, from a bank to an asset uh, manager, asset owner, uh, pension fund, uh, wealth fund, uh, insurer, et cetera. Um, and so what we're trying to do is build in many respects on uh, the progress that uh, UNFFI has made over the years and make sure that those foundations are in place by COP. Um, so they're not niche, but they're spread across uh, the entirety. And um, uh, as I say, you know, whether it's on the asset owner side or the banking side, um, really build best practice across the whole sector. Well, I mean, this brings me to the question of, of the TCFD, because you, in your FSB leadership role, you established the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures. What's your sense in terms of how uptake is going today? And do you believe we're headed towards the need for, for mandatory disclosures? Um, a short, short answer on the second part of the question is yes. Um, but let me, let me explain that. So really, it was five years ago, almost to the day, that uh, the idea for the TCFD came out. Um, it was formally launched under Mike Bloomberg's chair, chairmanship um, in Paris, as you know. Um, and then with 18 months, within 18 months, they've reported to G20 leaders on 
the framework, TCFD framework, and uh, the best companies, leading companies started to apply them. Now, um, so we've been through what will be three reporting uh, sessions or seasons, uh, two and a half really, reporting seasons, um, and the latest implementation report of the TCFD is going to come out next month. Now, what I think it will probably show is, well, it's going to show one thing, there's broader uptake uh, across um, across the sector. There's 1,500 companies um, uh, across 60 countries, actually, who are applying TCFD standards. Um, and it will show pretty good application for many of them on metrics, on governance, on risk management, but less on the key one, uh, one of the key ones, which is strategic resilience. So, in other words, forward-looking. Um, how robust is a company's strategy to the various transition paths we could have? Um, you know, a smooth path to Paris alignment or a late and abrupt path or a business as usual path with, you know, physical risk dominating. So there's more work to be done there. What there is on the demand side of the equation, so the users of this information is overwhelming demand for it. Various ways to cut the numbers, but uh, you add up all the balance sheet, it's 150 trillion dollars of balance sheet that wants TCFD disclosure from the users of capital. So the message we're giving, and um, just yesterday I, I spoke with the um, coalition of uh, finance ministers um, as part of uh, IMF uh, World Bank Week, and I, I made this point, which is, look, the private sector has brought this almost as far as they can on a voluntary basis. There's application by um, Glasgow, um, you governments, should be putting in place various pathways to make it mandatory. And if you just give me one one second, uh, there's a few ways of doing that. And I think we've all been, and those on this uh, uh, virtual um, event uh, have been around these issues long enough to know that not everybody does it exactly the same way in their own jurisdiction. That's fine, as long as there's some commonality. So there's the EU disclosure, uh, non-financial disclosure framework, which they're working through. There's a very important initiative out of the IFRS, which is just launched for consultation, and I'd encourage um, uh, the membership here and those watching to get engaged in that consultation because this is about sustainability reporting. They're starting with climate, um, but this would be effectively a global reporting standard outside of the United States because that's the one place the IFRS doesn't, doesn't apply. Um, and uh, there's also national legislation we've seen in New Zealand um, securities regulators like the FCA, comply or explain. The message is private sector's brought this a long way. Application's pretty good, but it's not perfect. It's not absolutely comprehensive and consistent. And that's why you want to have this pathway to mandatory um, so that the those who are supplying capital, whether they're banks or asset owners, asset managers, insurers, et cetera, have the information they need to uh, to take climate change into account in, as I said at the outset, in every financial decision, if, if they so choose. And Mark, do you think um, when we work with our members in the, uh, well, across the, the, the financial industry, forward-looking disclosures uh, means a scenario analysis. And, and one of the questions that comes up is whose scenario, who decides? And you as a central bank regulator, obviously, um, you know, setting scenarios is, is what you do. Do you believe we're at the point where the scenarios should be given to, let's say, banks or, or even corporates in how they disclose, or there should be still room for um, different types of scenarios to be put forward? Well, um, well as, a, as a central banker, I'm going to say yes. Um, yes, <laughs> you gave me an either or. I'm going to say yes, and let me explain what I mean by that, which is that it's very helpful to have some common reference scenarios. Um, and those, but 
to be useful, those reference scenarios need to be coherent. Um, and coherence in central bank stress testing speak means that the economic outcomes and the financial outcomes are broadly coherent. So if you have a big recession um, and you, you have an interest rate response that would be consistent with that, you have an impact on interest sensitive assets uh, consistent with that, you have loan losses consistent with that, et cetera. Now, the other layer of coherence you need in a climate stress test is obviously the climate outcome, the physical climate risks, which uh, the central banks have been taking from the insurers and reinsurers where the expertise is, um, but also very importantly, the transition risk. Um, so what is the pathway? Uh, you know, what we were talking about a moment ago, is it smooth and predictable or is it late and abrupt? Um, so what has been supplied on that front uh, literally in the last um, two months has been three reference scenarios by the NGFS, which is this group of 70 central banks and supervisors um, that does just that. They're coherent and they have various pathways. Now, I think uh, speaking is a form, well, if I were still a supervisor central banker, what I would like is that um, an institution takes that one of those reference scenarios and if they choose to adjust it and they're open source and they're designed to be adjusted, that's great. If they have a view on certain aspects, that's really what you're you're looking for as the supervisor or the stakeholder, which is, well, what are the experts? What is management's view of these potential climate pathways? And very importantly, are they resilient if their base case view is wrong? So you have to look at a few of them um, or it's not wrong so much because they're scenarios. Scenarios are never right or wrong. You never really think the world's going to be exactly like that. But if, if, if things don't come to pass. So just to sum up, there are common reference scenarios now. Um, with all respect to the IEA, these are more useful for stress testing purposes because they're coherent across macro and financial variables as well as climate. Um, but one would expect the industry and individual institutions to tailor them uh, to their own view. Um, and then it's that iterative process with the supervisors and other stakeholders to understand how management's thinking about this and, and managing um, both the risks and opportunity. Okay, great. Uh, very, very clear. Let, let, let's move um, to the secondary objective. Now, TCFD is mostly seen today as a risk disclosure framework. Um, is it going to be enough to get the financial sector behind the net zero objective? No, I, 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 I think it's a great way to put the question. It's a foundation. It's necessary uh, in our judgment. Uh, but of course, this is as much, uh, much about opportunity as it is about managing risk. And um, the opportunities that uh, are created are quite significant. Um, the way, one way to uh, look at opportunities and look at alignment, um, I think is something that the, um, the membership, uh, many of the members of the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance do, uh, which is to look at um, so-called portfolio warming approaches. So. Uh, in effect, and there are a lot of experts on this uh, on this meeting, but for those who haven't looked as closely, um, in effect, you're looking at the transition paths of the assets you own um, or the companies you own relative to some reference uh, scenario, which is a, let's say, a science-based target um, reference to transition path. And is the company, and I'm simplifying, is it above or below the line? Um, or is it above the line and about to get below the line? Um, and therefore, what is its contribution to overall warming if that were representative of global global assets. And, uh, you know, some leading uh, insurers, global insurers um, do this and, and have specific targets to go from kind of three degrees or a little more than three degrees they are today to get to one and a half degrees by certain dates. Now, this is 
um, this is a way to flip risk into opportunity. Um, it's a way to accurately represent to your your pen, uh, you know pension holders or st uh, broader stakeholders where their money, how their money is being invested. It also is a very effective feedback mechanism to policymakers. I mean, one of the points I make um, to uh, climate policymakers, heads of government, basically, is to say, listen, the Japan Pension Fund does this analysis. They have $1.6 trillion of assets. They more or less own a representative sample of the market, um, and they think it's three and a half degrees. So obviously, the NDCs uh, put forth in Paris, I mean, we all know this, and I know you're, we're going to hear from Johan uh, Rockstrom a bit later. Um, uh, obviously, the NDCs are, are, are not consistent with the stated objective. It's another feedback thing. If I can just make one more point on this, though, which is that as part of COP, what we're doing is um, there's a man named David Blood who helps run Generation Asset Management. A number of financial institutions, including members of the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, are diligencing kind of best practice and alternative ways of doing these types of calculation. And the first draft of that report will be out by the end of this year. Plenty of time for the industry to get involved um, and make it better. Um, but not just, um, you know, kind of flip the risk into ultimately, to your question, Eric, is it's flipping the risk into opportunity and it's being able to show to your policyholders, your stakeholders, your investors, and broader society, um, how well you are positioned as an asset owner, asset manager, et cetera, uh, for, the, for the transition. Well, fantastic. And yeah, we're very happy. David will be speaking later um, uh, around the notion of, um, well, aiming towards eventually a, a views on a legal framework to, to essentially take, um, uh, look at fiduciary duties and, and how uh, an environmental or sustainability objective plays within the duties. And I, I want to put my next question around that. You know, critics um, might not see net zero alignment as a financial objective, but rather as an environmental one. And I ask the question, is it the role of financial institutions to set environmental objectives? How, how do you respond? Well, there's, I mean, society sets its objectives. Um, and what we have in uh, 125 now countries, 126, I guess, with China, is a net zero objective that is the stated objective of the country. In many cases, it's in legislation and, and consequences follow from that, follow from uh, that policy consequences. So the objective is that. And then the question that gets asked by of every company and financial institution is, well, are you aligned with that objective? Now, the answer could be no, um, I'm not aligned because, and then you have to fill in the blank on why you're not aligned. I'm not aligned because uh, I don't believe the government's going to do what it says, or just, you know, which you, know, you can say, um, take that judgment, or um, I uh, am waiting for some technological innovation before I become aligned, which then again, you're, those who supply you the capital will make a judgment about your risk management. Or, 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 or the alternative and what we are seeing uh, pretty much en masse um, is a movement to say, yes, I will be aligned with that. Um, here are my short-term metrics uh, so you can judge uh, my progress against that. But what this also does in some industries is it exposes um, what I would call sort of technological choke points down the road where certain things have to happen. So. Um, if I'm in a hard to abate sector, as you know, like steel or cement, hydrogen, you know, the, the economics of hydrogen need to need to shift. 
Okay. In a broader capital market, that tells you that if you can help crack that problem, uh, there is a very large market uh, for the product. So it, um, uh, I, I think the, uh, the important thing is that we get out clearly um, these transition strategies. Um, and again, I'll bring back the coherence word, uh, the coherence of those strategies. They won't all be coherent. They'll start to expose um, where, where the opportunities are. Um, and then finally, to loop back to fiduciary duty, which is the essence of your question, you're going to have a richer discussion with David, I'm sure. Um, what we are seeing is that there is an alignment in many cases between managing these risks, seizing these opportunities, and getting better risk-adjusted returns to shareholders. Um, and uh, there's substantial evidence around that. And I would suggest further that given that the world is moving towards these objectives quite clearly, uh, at a minimum, at a minimum, companies need to disclose whether they're taking that seriously or not. Um, so what are, do they have Paris aligned assumptions in their scenario analysis? Um, are they working towards, what are the issues around it? Um, and then judgments can be made uh, accordingly. Great, so it's really largely about signaling and forward guidance and, and letting market forces start to, to act um, uh, in a transition in, in the, the way that, that governments have agreed, society is, is aiming towards and, and industry and, and the financial scene need to step up. Let, let, let me move on from um, investors and insurers to banking because many in the audience today are new signatories to the principles of responsible banking. Um, today, there's 40% of global banking assets are now signatories, so, so we believe it's by far the largest um, sustainability-oriented uh, target-setting framework within the financial system. Um, and many signatories are going to be setting climate targets in the coming year. Um, can you give some ideas on how ambitious you think they need to be and which lines of the banking business um, you expect that they need to be focusing on? Well, I think, I mean, Consistent with our earlier discussion, Eric, I think the important thing um, is to look at it in the round um, because it's a transition. It's a whole economy transition. So um, one of the one of the issues is so not to get caught in necessarily specific divestment of certain areas and then ignoring uh, what's happening in the rest of the economy. So actually having um, a uh, you know, a financed emission, net zero financed emission objective, ultimately is uh, is important. Of course, that's quite far in the future, and certainly far in the future relative to the maturity of most banking assets, which is why you need to work backwards and have some interim objectives and targets uh, that are uh, disclosed. Ideal uh, a governance process that's uh, clear in terms of board level specific board level governance and responsibility around managing climate risks and opportunities, ideally some compensation linked uh, to that as well, or at least disclosure about whether uh, it is there or not. So I think having the broader scope three or financed emission type approach is important, not specific business lines, but across uh, across the entire institution uh, and giving a pathway to that. Um, and let me just link it back to quickly a, a, a earlier discussion we had, which is around stress testing. In effect, that's what the central banks will do with the banks, which is to say, okay, let's freeze your balance sheet today. Let's imagine if you had that lending portfolio in 2030, 2040, 2050 on a pathway to net zero, how would it look? In other words, which of the companies you're lending to have a strategy for net zero and therefore are still resilient 
in 20, 30, 40, and 50? And if they don't, or if you don't know, what provisions would you have to uh, take for them today? And have you really thought through your strategy? Is your strategy resilient or robust uh, for the transition that, as we were saying a moment ago, that society is demanding? Um, and and that that focuses it much more into a strategic sense of where where the where the bank is going. Strategic sense. I think that's a, a great way to end off, uh, Mark Carney. Thank you so much for your insights and your leadership on where the finance industry needs to head uh, in a strategic sense in navigating the climate transition. Um, best wishes for a successful COP26, for which UNIPFI and its members are committed to supporting towards a successful, ambitious outcome. Well, we won't be able to do it without uh, UNIPFI and its membership. So uh, we appreciate your support and uh, we're listening to uh, your, your priorities. Thanks. Thank Alex. you very much.